Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Yeah, hello and welcome. Good to see everybody. Yeah, I thought we'd speak today on Mudita, which is one of the Brahma Viharas or heavenly abodes. It's translated usually uh, to sympathetic joy. Uh, I like rejoicing in the good fortune, you know, of others. I kind of, I kind of like this um, rejoicing. I also call it like the the social media practice. You know, this is great for social media. You just say scrolling through and you see somebody who's, you know, having a living their best life and you just rejoice in that, you know. Uh, commonly it's used as an antidote for the, its opposite, which is like envy and jealousy, right? Uh, yeah, so it's wonderful. I'll unpack the, the Brahma Viharas, you know, in, in general too. Yeah, on Thanksgiving, um, maybe I started like a week before that, but I did did something to my back, like my back just completely locked up. So it just started to spasm and, and whatnot. So I was literally on all fours, like walking around, like trying to like, climb up on my couch to like lay down. So I had a lot of mudita, just like people walking, like people walking around and breathing without pain and all that. I was like, good for you, man. That's awesome. You know, it's it's great that the suffering, like I I I think we could all relate that we have so much, so much gratitude, right? When there's suffering and it's something's really hurting. Then you have so much gratitude for for just the the the, the ease of life that we yeah take for granted right so um so we'll see how this goes i have not sat down sitting down is not the best for me so i haven't sat down for an hour and a half so <laughs> i have i have the computer on a stand that I can go up and down so if i need to stand up i might stand up so anyway we'll see um so just break down for for people that that might be a, a bit new to to the practice there's a category of teachings that revolve around the heart. And uh, there's four, there's usually four aspects of the heart that we that we speak about. And the first one's loving kindness. You might have heard the word metta, which means loving kindness or loving friendliness. And we could think of these this heart energy kind of like the sun. So the sun just shines and we could just you we could see this the the uh, the, the the core energy is is loving kindness. <clears throat> and when this love meets different aspects of life, it shifts and changes. So we notice that when love meets suffering, it shifts a, a bit into compassion, that yearning for someone or self to be free from suffering, right? When this when this love energy, this uh, love energy meets rejoice, a good fortune, like somebody is experiencing goodness or happiness or joy in some way, then we rejoice in that. You know, if you really love somebody and they're doing really well, right? You rejoice in that and you have uh, more love. Uh, the, the next one is equanimity. And equanimity really is, 
in in some aspects, you know, kind of ultimately, really the blending of of wisdom and compassion. But a lot of times we speak of equanimity in in the sense of um, really shift, wanting something to change, or wanting you know ourselves to shift in, in some way, a situation to shift in some way, a person to shift in, in some way, and then. Being out of control, understanding that there's wisdom of impermanence and interdependence at work as well, and not being able to shift or change that situation, but abide in the heart anyway, right? Abide in, in love and kindness anyway, right? So, so much, it's a really tall order. You know, equanimity can be, can be very difficult uh, to find this love and compassion and peace uh, and even, you know, serenity when, when things, are impossible to change, right? But we have to understand that the heart practice uh, that we're embodying and we're cultivating or whatnot is set within the landscape of, of what we call like samsara, which is this impermanent interdependent world that so much of it's out of our control, right? So much, so much of it or all of it's in flux, right? So our heart has to work within within this world, right? So we have to really merge the two. And I'm going to speak more about that. And in Tibetan tradition, there's more of this emphasis on merging the heart practices with, with emptiness, with the understanding of, of emptiness. So I'm going to unpack that a, a little bit more. So we can use like speaking of this kind of like blending of of um, emptiness and and heart. We could use this more kind of mundane view of of loving kindness as as a bridge into the deeper um, realizations. You know, uh, I had an instance recently. I got really mad. I haven't been this mad in a long time <laughs> like and uh it was an injustice kind of a thing like it was a it was a work-related thing you know won't get into it it was but i it was a bit it, injustice arose and uh and i remember you know when i was growing up i was um i was almost prideful of being you know, if somebody it was if there was an injustice, I would get so mad, I'd get so angry, and I would feel like completely justified with getting getting super angry if there was an injustice. And and I remember, I I remember I was living in Atlanta Medicine Buddha, and I, I I forget who was giving the talk. You know, it was a, it was a monk or a nun giving giving a talk, and they were speaking of you know how the Dalai Lama resides in this equanimity while actively, I mean, with such great action and such great energy, you know, uh, creating change and 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 really fighting the, the, the good fight against um, these injustices, but doing it in a way where he has equanimity and kindness, right? And that was the first time that the concept of not being angry when there's an injustice that first appeared in my mind and it didn't even seem right. I thought, no, you got to get mad. You know, you got to get really mad and it's right to be mad in those, in those situations. 
and then I had to sit with it and, you know, finally came to the realization of like, well, then what am I fighting for? You know, if there's, if there's no peace, if I'm not even embodying peace, if I'm not embodying, embodying what I would like to see happen, then we're just, it's just more hate on top, top of hate. And of course, if we look at Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa and Gandhi and all these magnificent beings that made these this most magnificent, you know, change, they they did so with peace in their hearts, you know, with kindness in their hearts. And so, you know, this anger that I had, you know, the antidote to anger is kindness. So this energy, this seed and energy of kindness is the antidote to that anger, right? And it's something that in this this moment, you know, I had I had lost, uh, I wasn't connecting with, right? So so we could we could use these practices in a very tangible way to cultivate uh, a peaceful mind state. And really what I wasn't seeing, you know, they talk about the three aspects of, of, of emptiness, which is the emptiness of a, the subject, the object, and the action when we're speaking of emptiness when, in regards to the Brahma Viharas. So on the other side of, of this mundane kind of like being with that emotion in, in a different way, and and I'm going to unpack emptiness here. These talks are always interesting because in about a half an hour, we we unpack these broad things, right? So I'm speaking to emptiness. And if you're new, you might be like, oh, what's that? But um, there's an emptiness of self. There's an emptiness of other. And there's an emptiness of, of the action. So ultimately speaking, you know, if I was really holding on to ultimate truth, you know, during the situation, if I was in the realm of right view, if I was embodying that, when this person did what they did, you know, I could see it in a in a way that would really lead to proper action on my part, right? Action that would lead to uh, a benefit for not only myself and and my mind, but for the benefit of the others in that situation uh, for that person and at, at the, the collective, right? The collective, you know, consciousness, if you will, it would have been of a, of a different vibration. Instead, I put a lot of anger into the world. That wasn't good. You know, I called up my business partner and I, I was yelling about the injustice. Da, 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 da. And I happened to be walking through my neighborhood <laughs> and my, and, and, you know, I was just, you know, people walking their dog and I was just like, God, this dude. And, and luckily, you know, I, my business partner, she's way more wise and kind and patient than I am. He's like, yeah, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to do anything. Um, so it's not helpful, all of these things. So let me unpack. We're gonna. I'm gonna read a little bit of Longchimpa, who's a, a an amazing uh, Vajrayana Tibetan teacher. You speak uh, speak to this, kind of how we move from, let's say, 
the, you know, there's anger or it might be envy or, or jealousy or something. And we move using the hard practices to a bit more of equanimity and then actually go into, into emptiness. For the sake of time, you know, speaking, speaking to emptiness, what we mean that by that is that one of the easiest things that we could do is just contemplate for a few moments on impermanence. So what we mean by emptiness is that things exist, but not in the way that we think that they do. We think things are very solid and fixed, but because of impermanence and interdependence and things like this, we understand that things are shifting and, and moving all the time. And plus they're interdependently arising, right? So things need other things to make them, make them be, one thing I'd like to say is like that number three doesn't exist. We could pick any number. I always choose three. I don't know why, but the three number three doesn't exist. You need two and you need four, right? For three to exist. Uh, we need this and that for that to arise. We need a subject and an object for that to arise. And then whatever's arising, it's in flux, right? Um, a chair was you know a tree and you know if we take that chair apart all of us all of a sudden it's nothing so it's in it's in flux right where we're sitting in this room when i first got it we're sitting at sacred roots holistic healing center when i got here it was called yellow devil it was really cool it was a more so consignment store it was awesome and um but see, this space is impermanent. It could be a dental office here, you know, next year. We don't know, right? Things are shifting and changing, right? When we have really firm grasps um, and concepts in regards to things, we kind of like draw lines around things, you know? And we make things this and we make things that. And then when things start to shift out of their function, if we label something a car or a phone or a wife or a husband or boyfriend or girlfriend, when things start to act out of that concept that we overlaid on top of that impermanent, shifting and moving non-thing, <laughs> this no thing, um, this nothing, when, when we do that and things shift and change, then there's suffering, right? It's a very, it's a very core aspect of attachment is our wrong view. The heavenly abodes, this loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity are beyond the wrong view. Right? Ultimately, we see things just as they are. Right? When we're when we're within these hard practices. So it can take a lot of time, you know, to uh, to em embody these these teachings experientially. So I just when, whenever I listen to you know concepts of emptiness and this and that, I just always kind of let them just like a wave just kind of flow over me, and let it resonate with the, in, the entirety of the body, and they come to fruition actually in in practice, right? So we don't need to understand it conceptually. Is my point. All right, so I want to read a little bit of of Longchenpa, and um, 
And so I'm going to read a few paragraphs, kind of bear with me here, because I'm kind of reading on, on Zoom and just reading in general can be a little bit, I don't know, dry or something like that. But you can even like close your eyes and and just kind of listen to these as more of like a, a meditation. And so I'm going to I'm going to read this. This is a commentary on on a bit of the um, the uh, a sutta on sympathetic joy, and this is Longchenpa talking. And then we're going to move into, you know, how this relates to emptiness. He's saying maybe it's more about seeing the negative side of jealousy, envy, unwholesome body. And automatically when those unwholesome poisons are dropped, after seeing their real nature, after seeing the real nature of the objects of the desire realm, objects of the senses, then the all-accomplishing wisdom that emerges is similar to the opposite of the unwholesome action, joy. But these wholesome methods, already less egoic, have to be perfected by combining them with the wisdom of emptiness. Consider the two inseparable aspects of reality is what makes them transcending wholesomeness and more in accord with liberation with the real dependently arising nature of everything, more close to our unborn Buddha nature. So there's a lot of kind of a Tibetan-y stuff in there, but he's saying that, you know, we're using that as a stepping stone, like we're overcoming the, the negativity of the jealousy and the envy, and we're using this as a stepping stone. So it is not about artificially, in quotes, artificially having joy for more beings, not about artificially inducing bliss, but about becoming free from the problems caused by jealousy and envy, unwholesome body, which are based on an immature concept of reality. Universal joy is certainly a more wholesome method. So universal joy is saying sympathetic joy is certainly a more wholesome method than jealousy and competitivity, like being com competitive. Yes, bringing more beneficial results. But since the nature of the whole samsara is suffering, we should use the opportunity of this precious human life to try to transcend them both. So transcend wholesomeness and unwholesomeness by combining wisdom to the wholesome methods by realizing the emptiness of the three, emptiness of the subject, the object, and the action. Unwholesome body is purified by seeing the real nature of body, of the desire realm. The result is the pure body of the Buddha, Nirmanakaya. So he's really speaking to emptiness of, of self here, right? And looking at the body in this way, that is something is shifting and changing, right? Worldly joy is necessarily partial and thus associated with jealousy towards some others, towards some others. Uh, so he's talking about duality here, right? It's like if well, if we have if we have joy and we're in in samsaric reality, we have we have du duality. We have worldly joy, then we must have some the opposite of that. We must have the uh, you know jealousy and all of that by making it universal. He's talking here about the sympathetic sympathetic joy. Um, its opposite and its negative consequences are gradually reduced. 
This adapted skillful means permits a gradual deconditioning and self-amplification of virtues, bringing more and more favorable conditions for progress on the path to enlightenment. So he's saying if we abide in these, these heart practices, there's going to be more favorable conditions for full awakening because we're going to be more ethical and more and more moral and whatnot. So our minds are going to rest in stillness easier, so on and, and so forth. But it is still samsaric and unstable because it is based on inherent existence and not on the real nature of everything. So we should adapt the middle way, not accepting the skillful means as the absolute, not, re not rejecting it altogether, thinking it is completely useless or non-functional because everything is empty. Emptiness doesn't deny dependent or origination, the methods, the skillful means. They're complementary. Their perfect union is Buddhahood. So he's saying, hey, these practices of the Brahma Baharas, they're great, but they're not the end point. Let's use them to understand ultimate truth, right? So when jealousy arises, we should try to see through it by seeing its real nature. Its real nature well, how it arises is conditioning, circumstantial, dependently arising, impermanent, emptiness of the three. Or at least use its opposite, joy for the merit, as temporary as a temporary antidote, in order to minimize the consequential bad effects. So he's saying both, both here, right? So as jealousy arises, see through it. So see the emptiness of it. See it as a conditioned arising. See it as circumstantial see it as dependently arisen, see it as impermanent. So he's saying, see it as empty, right? It's arising, it's here, but it's, it's, it's appearing, but it's not real. Or at least use the mundane aspect, right? If jealousy arises, instead use the classic, you know, phrases of, you know, may, may I rejoice in this person's good fortune which would be the opposite of jealousy and envy. At least do this, he's saying, right? If you can't see its ultimate emptiness, then at least use this, right? We should drop unwholesomeness, adopt wholesomeness, and combine it with wisdom, perfecting the two accumulations of merit and wisdom. So this is it. We should, we should drop unwholesomeness, adopt wholesomeness. May, may the good fortune continue. And then combine it with wisdom, the ultimate wisdom of, of emptiness, of seeing the emptiness of subject, object, and action. Again, going back to my anger, right? I could have, you know, as a stepping stone, I see anger. And then I could transform that anger by, by connecting more to, to, to kindness, right? And then use this ultimately to remember that I'm in flux. Like if I felt like there's injustice to me, but I can't find the me, I cannot find the I that injustice was thrown upon. You know, if I point, I cannot find it. I can't find a permanent fixed self that was quote unquote harmed. Right. And I cannot even, I cannot find the villain. You know, if I look for my enemy, I cannot find the enemy in this individual. I cannot find, you cannot find the enemy if I'd looked. And even the action that this person did 
is empty. All right, so he goes on here. The proper object of joy, so this is more like the mundane, the proper object of joy is happy sentient beings. For me to try to establish these beings and happiness, each of them has gained their proper happiness until they attain the essence of enlightenment. May they never be parted from this happiness. First think of one, then meditate on all of them. Um, so this is, you know, you know, classic, the classic meditation um, that would be done here. Hold on just a second. Sorry. So in in Tibetan, you know, they they kind of break down the Brahma Viharas just like these four phrases: May all sentient beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. May all sentient beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. There should be compassion. May all sentient beings never be separated from the happiness that knows no suffering. So this is Buddhita. May all sentient beings abide in equanimity, free from attachment and anger that holds some close and others distance. So that's the, the equanimity piece. So he's pointing to that. May all sentient beings never be separated from the happiness that knows no suffering. Um, you know, he's 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 pointing to this that that mundane peace. Um, but then he's going to go on. So now here is the peace. Of, of emptiness so he's like then go on to the joy without object then meditate on joy without a reference point again the reference point before being humans like sentient beings uh, not, not only humans but sentient beings all sentient beings may they be happy may this happiness um and joy uh never diminish but grow greater and greater right then go on to joy without object then meditate on joy without a reference point. Meditating on simple joy alone is not enough. It has to be combined with wisdom. Then it becomes the great joy of the Buddha, the perfection of joy. Meditate on all the objects of joy, all sentient beings as appearing while they do not exist like an illusion. Just as in the midst of many sentient beings, magicians may emanate illusory forms of things, but those horses and chariots and elephants that they conjure do not exist at all in the way that they appear. Every Dharma should be known to be like that. So that's like his final instruction. You know, his final instruction, meditate on the objects of joy, all sentient beings as being while they do not, as appearing while they do not exist like an illusion. And then the, there's actually the final, <laughs> the final instruction is to, to stay with what remains, right? To whatever has been manifested, you could say joy or or what whatever it might be, but you know, let go of everything. Just be with whatever is here in that moment. Whatever's been, you know, quote unquote, cultivated, right? Um, and so you know that little that little poem that he wrote. That's from that's from another sutra, or that he just he cited. Just as in the midst of many sentient beings, magicians may emanate illusory forms of things, but those horses and chariots and elephants that they conjure do not exist at all in the way that they appear. Every dharma should be known to be like that, right? Every dharma. And so, of course, the fourth foundation of, 
of, of mindfulness, the phenomena, um, uh, the, the, the mindfulness of all appearing phenomena, all dharmas, all things, all objects, all concepts should be seen as empty. You know, even things like, even things like the Brahma Vaharas, that like compassion, love, you know, we're transcending the wholesome and the unwholesome to experience emptiness in its purity, right? All right. So, yeah, I wanted to speak about this, this bridge today. Um, you know, how do we, how do we go from something like jealousy, envy, anger to allowing allowing that to be uh, subdued by the main mundane worldly opposite right anger i could introduce love kindness in envy jealousy i could introduce sympathetic joy and yet i'm still in duality i'm still in subject object right i'm not completely free free i still have a um a wrong view of self. I have a wrong view of of others. Ultimately, how can I use that as a stepping stone to then move into emptiness? Right. So, this character of Casey, right, that's impermanent, shifting and changing, was harmed by this impermanent influx being. Right. Uh, when we speak of these things. And this was noted in in the talk already, but I really want to make it explicit, is that when we speak of emptiness, you know, this of course is is challenged always by compassion. Right? So compassion rules the duality, samsara, and wisdom rules ultimate truth. So when we're speaking of these things, of course we're talking about taking action. Absolutely. And what is wrong is wrong. And we need to stand up for that. But how we stand up for that is really, really important, right? It is really important how we're holding the view of what's happening so we could take wise action, right? That's going to be a benefit to not only this situation, but future situations, not only the people involved, but the greater community to all sentient beings, if we're caught up and taken away, you know, by anger, by jealousy, by envy, of course, you know, we're not, we're not really um, going to be a benefit to ourselves, you know, and others, right? So, yeah, I want to break us up into to smaller groups, and then we can come back to, together. And I wanted to kind of uh, you know offer up in these groups of how sympathetic joy arises in in your life as a practice of just rejoicing in the good fortune of others um like i said i i really de definitely utilize this social media like and all and all that just rejoicing in the good fortune of others but then also how it landed for you today you know moving into more more of the emptiness the emptiness of the subject object and action and if that landed for you um you know you could chat in your small group you know about about that too yeah so i'm just gonna go ahead and break us up on um on zoom
break us up into into smaller groups. And then if you're here in person, just groups of two or three. <laughs> and then um and then we'll be we'll have about yeah 15, 20 minutes. All right. Welcome back everybody. Hope that was nice. Um yeah, we have 10 minutes or so coming back as a larger group. Does anyone want to chat about how that was for them any anything that that came up um remember when we were talking back into the the larger group just stay with our own experience and not speaking on the behalf of others and whatnot yeah yeah anyone you just raise your hand I can see ya Yeah, I um, it was this talk was really timely for me. I'm glad I joined. I've been off for a while, and um, just uh, over this last weekend, I there was a lot of family dynamics <laughs> in the you know the Thanksgiving feast and everything being with my uh, son, both of my sons, but uh, primarily my oldest and his family. So um, you know, a lot of talk about the you know the the heart um practices and um for me being able to withhold my my uh my judgments and and stuff i'm dad so i'm you know there's this thing in the back of my mind that says you know you know better <laughs> and you need to step up because you're pop mm -hmm. and uh, i was able to really restrain myself um and and to take kind of that uh, equanimous path of just letting things unfold and and watch and see and, and really appreciate you know um the family that i have and everything and it was it was really helpful so this kind of really confirmed or reaffirmed a lot of that wonderful lack of action yeah yeah thanks so is equanimity then this is what came up with me is equanimity then the common denominator for all of these heavenly abodes. Like, if we're having sympathetic joy, it's still empty of all intrinsic value mm. to be able to view that as as what it is. Mm -hmm. you know, so you're not like getting caught in any of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Lars was asking, is equanimity like the low, like the common denominator? within all the Brahma Viharas, you know, because it really focuses on kind of on that not not attachment part. Um, I think that's a good good way to put it. I think I yeah, I think that element of of participating in all the Brahma Viharas with non-attachment, with that wisdom of non-attachment, um using equanimity to kind of define that. I I think I think you're right on if if we look at like the end of the the seven factors of awakening, we we see equanimity. We see equanimity as the, the final piece of this, the Brahma Vihara. So if we were to kind of, you know, put a dualistic label on on the natural uh the, the mind in its natural state, it's the element of equanimity. So yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. I like that. Also questions. Questions too, if, uh, any questions that have come up about the, the talk today? Yeah, so thank you very much for the talk. Yeah. One thing that came up was the how listening 
to my body when I am confronted with the with the joys of another or mm. mine or something is can often be a much more honest and clear indication as to where my heart is in any moment mm. than even if you were to ask me like where is your heart in any moment mm. and what I mean is you know, mudita, natural expression, open ground at heart, when you see someone else happy, it's like happy else. When I am confronted with the joy of another online, and there is that mudita, like, okay, cool. That lets me know, it's one of the feedback mentions, lets me know the heart is grounded, happy, cool. But when there are other times when I'm not happy for that person, when I am envious and jealous and like, mm. and and not being and, and and what's tricky is there are times when I'm in that rural stage where if you were to ask me directly how's the heart doing or how do I feel in relationship to that person, what would have come out of my mouth in an honest answer is that's fine, everything's fine, no problem. It's <laughs> great. But the more subtle indication of where I was came to me when I noticed the tension in the heart and the clenching in the chest and the wanting to punch him in the head because <laughs> he's on vacation I'm at, and I'm at work. Mm. And so I, I, one thing I appreciate about this talk is like, you know, it may be like the encouragement to stay intimate with my experience because that experience can can be can be feedback to me in a way that's even beyond like conceptualization, like an embodied way to let me know like, yeah, wait a second. Like you're not in the place in this very moment where you think you are. Don't judge myself for it. Just recognize that and then be able to make a choice or decision as to where, which way I want to go. And like you said, invite in the antidote at that point. Because if, because if I didn't recognize it and I didn't invite in the antidote, then that would keep spiraling until it was just outright jealousy and frustration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Um yeah, and on Zoom, I don't know how much you're getting of that because, yeah, pretty good. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I love that that listening to the body. You know, just that 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 key coming back to the body that felt sense is such a, an amazing uh, mindfulness tool. I think that you know Buddha was brilliant starting with body, something so grounding. The mindfulness of body, you know, is always it comes up first. You know, the four foundations and. Uh, my body's always communicating. I'm not always listening. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, thank you for your talk. Thank you. I, I, I think in some ways, uh, when you let go of attachment to things, it's it's like that awareness is joy. You mm -hmm. know, because it's not suffering, because it's not attached. So, you know, it's almost like the difference between happiness and sadness, they, they're, they're, one is up, one is down, but neither is equanimity, neither is joy, neither is, is uh, what you experience without attachment to things. Uh, so joy is kind of our natural state uh, when our mind isn't suffering because of its attachments, I think. Yeah, thank you. I, and yeah, thank you for that. That was so eloquently put. And I, I feel like that was what Longchimpa was pointing to. That kind of joy, the the joy of 
the, the naturally arising joy, the, the non-cultivated, the non-striving joy. He's like, that's great. It's a good bridge. You know, it's it's definitely better than the envy or, or, or jealousy, but can we find that innately? And I, you know, I know I'm kind of rereading these things, but he, that he's kind of started off with that. He's like, maybe it's not this. It's that the, the subtraction of envy and jealousy leads us to the realization of joy, you know, boom, like that. Um, yeah, I definitely noticed joy when Jennifer picked up her puppy dog. I was like, oh, yeah, that's joyful. That's joy right there. <laughs> there was a puppy dog sighting online. You guys, you guys missed it, but there was, there was, there was a dog there. And I was like, oh, joy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking, I, well, I was mentioning three things, the three, the three aspects of the three things that we're looking to see that they're empty, the subject, object, and action. Was that it? I think so. so within a situation, to to notice that the 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 dualistic nature of that situation and so like if we get into an argument you know like i'm empty you're empty and the action is empty like whatever action was taken is empty ultimately you know to kind of to kind of note this in a very you know in an ultimate way that we had, let's say if we got in a little fender bender, we had a dream accident. It was an accident nonetheless. It was, a, it was a dream accident. So if we hold on to that, to notice that things are and it in flux and whatnot, we had a dream accident, then a dream accident can put us into like, don't know mind. You know, like, I don't know what's this. But if it's very concrete, like you hit me and it's going to result in this. It's very conceptual, very concrete, lots of attachment. There's a you and a me and a this happened. And then therefore we can't see any more wisdom because we've already made, we've already, it's too concrete for any wisdom to be any dynamic, organic potentiality to arise is blown. It's gone because it's all super concrete. Right. So it's an emptiness of those three things that we're holding on to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so it's 11.30. So yeah, let's just come together one last time and let's just dedicate, dedicate the merit. So just connecting to any wisdom, joy, happiness, kindness, sympathetic joy, rejoicing in the good fortune of others. Connecting to any goodness that has arisen due to our time together. And let's share that with others. Like we mentioned in the beginning, it's so rare and so precious that we have an opportunity to sit, to turn towards wisdom, especially together to share in each other's wisdom. So let's give this to others that did not have this opportunity today to do it to our friends, our family members, our community members, our neighborhoods, all sentient beings. May all beings everywhere, without exception, may they all be happy. May they be truly, truly happy and free from suffering. Om Mani Om.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.